Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to South Bay Community Church. My name is James. I'm one of the pastors here. And before we jump into our message, man, I got some good news for everybody. I don't know if you guys have already seen him around, but somebody is here with us this weekend. It's Pastor Gary. Pastor Gary's here. And you might be wondering why we're clapping for him, why we're so excited to see him. Uh, it's because if you guys weren't here last week or you didn't hear, Pastor Gary's had been having some health problems and some health issues over these last few months. Uh, they found some cancerous spots within his lung. And so this past Tuesday, he went in for surgery to remove some of those spots. And I'm here to say very thankfully that there was no complications during his surgery. They were able to remove what they believe were all the spots in there, but they did take out some lymph nodes as well because they just wanted to be sure that this cancer hasn't spread. And so thank you guys for praying for him. He really appreciates it. He knows and he has felt the love that you guys have had for him uh, by sending all your warm wishes, all your uh, good thoughts and all of your prayers. Uh, but he would, he would like to ask, would you guys continue to keep praying for him? Because this coming Wednesday, he's gonna meet with his doctor. Uh, they're gonna kind of take a look at what's going on and man, if everything's clear, he might be good to go. Uh, but, you know, I know that he's still recovering. So even if you do see him later today, we know that you guys are a very loving church. Uh, be very careful because he's still fragile. It's, he has all these incisions from all over. And, and so don't give him a big, gigantic hug or anything like that. But share and show him some love. Uh, he's still recovering as well. He's still a little bit tired from all the pain medication that he needs to take and just from the weight of all that's been going on. And so uh, we want to just encourage you. Uh, of course, uh, share some uh, share him, share and show some love to him, but uh, just also give him a little bit of space. But man, I'm so excited and so thankful for what God is doing in him and through him. And I'm thankful for this church that, man, you guys have just showered him and shown him so, so much love. And he really, really appreciates that. But what I want to do today is I want to continue on in our series, Asking for a Friend. And if you don't know what this series is about, it's that idea and that premise that we sometimes have these questions that we're too embarrassed to ask sometimes for whatever reason it might be. And what we wanted to do as a church was we wanted to address some of these questions, whether they be about God or Christianity or about faith. And so we've talked about all sorts of different topics. We've talked about heaven, what it'll be like. We talked about how we get to heaven uh, through Jesus. We talked about the church. And man, if we love Jesus, isn't that enough? Why do I have to attend church? What's the importance of doing this? And we have also talked about God's plan for our life. And you know, I think it's been really valuable to do this because oftentimes questions, when left unchecked, they can actually start pushing us away and leading us astray from God. And what tends to happen is these questions start to morph and develop into questioning God and having doubts. And that's what I wanted to talk about today because there have been many people that have asked us, Pastor James, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, but I have doubts. What do I do with my doubts? And what I've experienced and what I've learned through life but also through scripture is that, you know, doubts, they can be a very scary thing. They can be something that is also really, really misunderstood. And I think within the church community, unfortunately, it's kind of taboo and it's not really discussed because as believers or people that are supposed to have this great faith in God, we tend to believe that we're not supposed to have any questions or doubts. But what if, what if doubts don't necessarily have to be a bad thing? What if instead of being afraid of them, we can embrace them? And what if our doubts 
What if our struggles, what if all of our questions, man, God can use to actually not push us away from him, but have us be drawn toward him? Today, I want to show you how through scripture and through many other people's examples, why this can be the case for us and all of our doubts. But before we get started, do you mind if I pray for us? Let's pray together. God, we come before you fully admitting that we all have our doubts at some point or another. God, some of us are in here and we're not even Christian. We don't even identify ourselves in that way because of our doubts. Many of us are in here and, that, and though, God, we can say we're Christian, God, we're struggling because of our doubts. God, would you show us and help us today to see that doubts, doubts could actually be leveraged and used for good to not have us stray away from you, but have us drawn closer to you? Would you show us how that's done? And God, would you allow us to draw closer to you because of what we learned here today? We love you, we thank you, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, you know, November 29th, 2015 is a day that I will never, ever forget. And I better not, because that's the day that I got married to my beautiful bride, Darren Sakamoto. And on this day, it was a great occasion. We had fun, we danced, we laughed. And I can say honestly that it is probably one of, if not the best day of my life, right behind giving my life over to the Lord. And while this picture might show you a great image or a snapshot of a beautiful love being celebrated and being brought together, I'll be honest with you guys. As much fun and joy and fondness I have about that day, and about all the fun memories that were created and all the act interactions that I had with loved ones and friends that celebrated alongside of us, the day was really hard, especially in the morning. See, in that morning, I got up, and Pastor Dave was with me. He was my best man, and we decided to go on a run together. And we did so because I just needed to work off some nerves and some energy, and I needed to clear my mind because as I shared with him, and now I'm sharing with you, I had some major doubts about this commitment that I was going to make. See, I, I love Darren, and she is somebody that I'm so glad that I have been able to spend these last four years as husband and wife with. But in that morning, I literally got cold feet in the sense of, I don't know if I could do this. I, I was this close to calling it off. I was really considering it because I had all these doubts enter in my mind and I was thinking, is she really the one? Thinking, could I really spend the rest of my life with her? Even intellectually, I struggled because I thought about, hey, all the statistics say that marriages, most of them don't succeed. That there's maybe, if at best, a 50-50% chance based upon statistics and I thought, do I love her enough to really make this work? Does she love me enough to really make this work? But I'm so glad and I'm so thankful that I didn't let my doubt run my life. Because now I can look forward and look back even at the past and be excited. Because these past four years have been amazing. And four years that I wouldn't have changed for anything in the world. But here's the thing. I think much like that doubt that I experienced because of this gigantic, huge event that was about to occur in my life, I've also come to realize that doubt shows up even in the smaller things and in other areas of our life, especially 
in our understanding and in our relationship with God. There are many people that don't believe in God because of the questions that they have. Yet, even us as Christians, we have questions and we have doubts too. And it's not something that we always readily admit and acknowledge. Because like I said before, sometimes we think that doubts and faith, they can't exist together. And so maybe you sitting in here today have some doubts. I want to tell you that you're not the only one. Even someone standing up here preaching to you about God who has been a pastor for the past 15 years, I can still tell you that I struggle in this area as well. I struggle at times to wonder and wonder if God is truly real. That the things that I speak about and preach about, did they really happen? I wonder sometimes, man, does God really care about me? And love me because there have been situations and circumstances in my life that it sure didn't feel like it. Or, or I'm faced with things that occur and I wonder, God, can you really help me? Can you really do something about what I'm going through? Because I can't understand it. I can't figure it out. And there's no way in my own power that I can get through this. I've wondered and I've questioned and I have doubted my own salvation because I have thought, does God truly forgive me? Because, man, I know the amount of times I've messed up. I know the amount of times that I have deliberately gone against his purposes, his plans, and his will. How many times will he continue to forgive me and show me grace? But here's the thing that I've learned about doubt in my journey of 15 years plus as a pastor, but also as a believer for 20 more, 20 years plus as well, and also just in my study through the scriptures leading up to this sermon. And that is this. Man, doubts, doubts happen to every single one of us, non-believers and believers alike. And when it concerns our doubts with God, Pastor David Platt said there are three things that usually contribute to it. One, difficult situations. And here's the thing. We all face difficult situations. There will all, all be moments in our life, whether we believe in God or don't believe in God, where stuff will happen, pain will come, and we won't make any sense of it at all. And then there will be other times where David Platt says there will be unmet expectations. And what he meant by that is that not necessarily God not answering our prayers, but maybe not showing up and doing the things that we would hope for or the way that we would want and expect. And then finally he said, one of the final things, and this is probably one of the biggest reasons why every single believer will have doubt at some point or, not, or another, is that we just have a limited perception of life. We are finite beings trying to understand and make sense of an infinite God. And I was reminded of this through, through Isaiah's words, of his interaction with God. And so if you have your Bible, would you meet me at Isaiah chapter 55, 8 through 9? If you don't have your Bible, hopefully you guys grabbed a program. Inside there is an insert. If not there, you could follow along on the app or we'll put it up on the screen for you. But here, God is talking to the prophet Isaiah, reminding him and I think reminding us thousands of years later that us as humans, we can't compare to this God of the universe. Take a look. It says in Isaiah 55, 8 through 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than 
your thoughts. For as much advancement as we have made as human beings, for as, knowledge, for as much knowledge as we have accumulated, for all the advancements that we have uncovered and unearthed, there are still things that we do not completely understand. There are still questions in which we don't have the answers for. I mean, for example, something serious like cancer. There are still things that we don't understand in regards to why certain people get cancer and certain people don't. We don't fully know and understand how to cure all types of cancer or what the best treatments are, why sometimes treatments work and sometimes treatments don't work. And then there are things that are a little more sillier and a little more odd, and you would think there would be explanations for it, but even till now, we don't understand. For example, I read a recent article that, saw, that talked about how scientists and researchers still can't explain why we yawn. I know a lot of times we think it's because we're tired. That makes sense, right? But these researchers in the scientific community has said, you know what, we've made some advancements in learning that maybe there is a relation to the brain being needed to cool down, and that's why we yawn. But they still say that there is no true biological function that they can understand of why we do something as simple as yawning. Maybe some of you guys are like, I yawn because you are boring. And I get that. I understand that. But I hope to not make you yawn too much. But see, this is proof and this is evidence that, man, as smart as we've become, even, even all of the things that we have learned and as advanced as we have become as a society, we still don't know everything. And so it's no wonder that we question and we doubt a God that is above our thinking and above our comprehension. But here's the other thing that reminds me that we're in good company when we have doubts. Take a look at Matthew chapter 28, verse 17, and to just set up the story for you a little bit, this is after Jesus died and he was resurrected. And one of his last interactions with the disciple before he ascended into heaven was to go and commission them to go and make disciples of the world. But take a look at what happens when he approaches them and when they see him here in this mountain where they were supposed to meet. It tells us now when the eleven went to Galilee to the mountains to which Jesus had directed them. Verse 17 says, and when they saw him, they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Here they were. They see this Jesus whom they had walked with for the past three years, seen him perform miracles, see, hear him teach amazing things, and now here in the flesh after he's died in person in front of them. And so because of that, we're told that they do what? They, they worship him. They acknowledge him. But yet at the same time, while there was enough faith to worship, there was room for doubt. And this is a reminder to you and I all that doubt and faith can truly coexist. Now, maybe it's more of a matter of which one are we going to truly listen to and let rule and reign our life. But what it also teaches us is that doubts don't disqualify you and I as a disciple. Jesus didn't say, wait a second, hold on. Some of you guys are worshiping me and you guys have great faith. But man, there's some of you guys that have doubts. The ones that have doubts, get away because I'm about to commission the rest of them to go into the world and make disciples. No, he didn't do that. He didn't separate them based upon who has faith and only who has doubts. But no, instead he acknowledged them all as people whom he was going to use to do amazing things. See, doubt doesn't make you and I a bad Christian. It simply makes us human. And something else that I want us to see now that we can understand that doubts and faith can coexist is that 
maybe instead of looking at doubt as an enemy of God, we can instead look at it as an ally, an ally toward our pursuit of drawing closer to God. And what I mean by that is this. I, I, I learned something a long time ago about trees and how there's something very valuable to them growing strong and big. See, early on, people thought that it would be important when planting a young tree to put stakes in the ground to attach it to them. And you get it, because one of the biggest enemies, seemingly, of this tree's growth of going straight and, and staying rooted was the wind, right? Because the wind can come along and just unroot it. The wind can come along and cause it to go crooked. And so people said, you know what, stakes would be really helpful in keeping it solid. But what scientists began to discover was that, you know what, while this might work for a little bit, they found that it was eventually better to maybe, when they're young, remove the stakes early or to not have them staked at all. And the reason for this was that they found that trees needed the wind. They needed the wind to blow against them. Because what that caused the tree to do, that caused the tree to have its root systems grow deeper into the ground so that it could be more rooted, so that it could have the support it needed, especially to grow taller and stronger. And so that when faced with the winds of the circumstances and the situations of the weather, it can stand up to even the most difficult and heaviest and strongest of winds. And I feel like there's a correlation with you and I, right? Because winds, it can equal the struggle that the tree grows through. But what it causes is it causes deep roots to grow down. And I think in the same way, doubt can be like that wind in our life that it causes us to struggle. But as, we, as it causes us, us to struggle, instead of letting it topple us over, we can use it to go and grow deeper with God. See, doubts can cause tension and discomfort through the struggle of trying to understand and make sense of it all. But maybe through the struggle and maybe through that tension and even through that discomfort, it can cause us to run to the one who can comfort us and strengthen us and help us overcome all the doubts that we have. And so will you write this down as your first point? Doubts, doubts can develop a deeper devotion to God. One of the key words that I have there for you guys is the word can. It can help us do that, but it can also, it can also cause us to go the opposite way as well. And I believe one of the reasons why it can cause us to go in the direction of away from God rather than towards God is because how we view doubt and the way that we approach it. See, I think many of us, what we tend to do with doubt is we fear doubt. And when we fear something, we usually hide from it or we run away from it or we ignore it or avoid it. And here's the thing. When we don't deal with our doubts sometimes, instead of just wanting to be comfortable and pretending like they don't exist, it's kind of like staying tied to these stakes. We may look good on the outside, but our roots don't go deeper and stronger in the inside. And when this happens, when we, left, when we leave doubt unchecked, it can erode our faith. It can corrupt it and dilute it. And eventually, if we continue to leave it unchecked, it can lead to it becoming unbelief. And so instead of running away from it, instead of hiding it, instead of fearing it, maybe something we can do instead is we can learn how to embrace it. 
because it is something that we're going to have to live with. It is something that we're all going to go through. It is something that happens to every single one of us. And so maybe instead, as we embrace it, we can try to understand it a little bit more, where it's coming from, what might be causing it, what might be at the root of it. Then we can begin to try to recognize it. We can recognize that these are the things that we're having difficulty with, and then when we recognize it, then we can begin to truly address it as well. And then as we address it, we can even use it to our advantages. See, I believe that we can learn to do this from some of the greatest of faith who have ever lived according to the Bible. And and what I want to do is I want to look at a few examples in particular and how these people leveraged doubt to not be a weakness, but instead as a tool, as a strength to develop a greater faith. Not as a hindrance, but as an opportunity to draw closer to God. And, and so to help you and I remember what these things are, I, I want you guys just to think of the idea of AAA. And maybe when you guys think of AAA, you think of the American Automobile Association, a place that we call when we leave our keys locked in the car or we need to jump or our, car, our tire is blown out. But I, I don't mean that kind of AAA but instead another AAA that we are called to remember and lean on during difficult moments of doubt and struggle. And the first A we're going to learn from actually Thomas. Many people know Thomas as one of the disciples of Jesus, but usually Thomas is associated with a nickname, Doubting Thomas. And I want to show you why maybe this name is inappropriate for him. And instead, he should be known not as the doubting Thomas, but as the honest Thomas. Because take a look at the interaction that he had shortly after Jesus rose from the dead and revealed himself to some of the disciples, but not him yet. In John chapter 20, verse 24, this is where we pick up the story. It says, now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the marks of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. It is this exchange of Thomas and the other disciples in which he earned the nickname Doubting Thomas. But I look at this and I see, yeah, there's definitely some doubt that Jesus is back from the dead for Thomas. I get that. But what I see isn't someone uh, that is lacking faith. I, I see someone that, that is just being honest and is saying, hey, I'm glad that you guys got to see this. I'm so glad that you guys got to experience this. But I don't want to just take your word for it. I want to see it, and I want to experience it for myself. And don't we all do that? We may hear from a pastor up here about how they went through something and and they experienced God in this great way. And then they tell you, you need to do that now too in your current life situation. You're like, pastor, I get it. You got through that. You went through that. But I haven't experienced that. Some others might hear about a mission trip and you're thinking, wow, that's really awesome that God used you in that way. But God hasn't done that for me here right now. So I'm not going to believe it till I do it myself. See, what Thomas was doing was he was merely just being honest and he was being real. And he was being open about his doubts. But take a look at what begins to happen. See, Jesus being so good and so kind and so loving, he responds to Thomas. 
And the funny thing is, he wasn't even, Thomas wasn't even talking to Jesus when he brought up these doubts. But take a look at how Jesus responds. In verse 26, it says, Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and, and put out your hand and place it on my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord, my God. I just love, I just love how this reminds us that, man, God and Jesus, they already know our doubts, right? And yet for whatever reason, you and I, we sometimes have this hard time acknowledging them. And that's the first A that I want us to really consider in engaging and embracing our doubts. Would you acknowledge your doubts? That's exactly what Thomas did in this group of believers and what I believe God is calling us to do as well with others and with him. To be honest about our doubts. To be honest with ourselves that these are things we're struggling with. To be honest with other people and to share it with them, and to be even honest with God himself. See, God, Jesus, he honored Thomas's doubts and his honesty. And, and, and Thomas's questions, it actually led to a deeper and more personal faith because he expressed sincerity of his doubts, and he looked for answers. And I love this picture that Thomas felt safe enough and comfortable enough to share his doubts with other believers. Because who, who was he telling this to? He was telling it to the fellow disciples. And I hope and I pray that us as a church community and even in our smaller communities of our life groups and such and our friends, that those would be environments that much like Thomas, we can feel safe to acknowledge our doubts with one another. Because we all struggle with them. It's hard enough to try to deal with them on our own. But yet, I know that it's scary and I know that it's hard because unfortunately, there is that stigma of doubt that it's not something that we should have as believers. And so it could be looked down upon. It could be frowned upon. It could be met with criticism. And, and I see it actually playing out in a high-profile way with this man here. This is Joshua Harris. He was an author of a best-selling book called I Kissed Dating Goodbye, where he challenged believers to pursue holiness in, in light of their dating lifestyle. And, and then he even became a megachurch pastor. But just recently, he denounced his faith. He claimed that he's been wrong, that his answers, questions uh, to God have caused him to just walk away and call it quits. And I get it. There's been a lot of criticism of the way that he has shared this. A lot of people have been impacted and affected because they looked up to him. I looked up to him. I remember reading this book in junior high and high school as well. And when somebody of this stature walks away from their faith, of course, that's going to cause a lot of people to question and have doubts as well. But I think what hurts my heart as a pastor is that he has been met with such backlash to his decision. And I get it, maybe he could have done it in a better way. Maybe he didn't have to do it so publicly. 
But I feel as a church community, instead of coming down on him and reprimanding him and rebuking him and getting mad at him for the way that he approached it, to see and to realize there is a man here that is struggling with the things that he used to believe in. And that he should be met with believers who would hopefully understand that and want to help him through that rather than just merely correct him and his approach to it. Another person who has also been experiencing great backlash in admitting their doubts and maybe even renouncing their faith has been this man here, Marty Sampson. He was a worship leader with Hillsong, and he has even authored and written some of the songs that we have sang on this stage in response to who God is. And theologically, they are awesome, and they're so correct, but yet he recently shared that his faith was on incredibly shaky ground. And even more so, as I try to learn a little bit more about Marty Sampson, I've discovered through reading some of his Instagram posts that he doesn't identify himself as a Christian anymore. But one thing that he is trying to do amongst all of his doubts and all of his questions, amongst all of his even unbelief, is that he's still searching for answers. And so he's still open to God, and he's still open to hearing and learning from one another. But he has also shared how he has just been hurt by the church ever since sharing his faith or his lack thereof it in regards to his doubts. But one of the things that I love that Marty Sampson is trying to do is that he's still trying to seek out answers to his questions. But maybe instead of how Marty has been doing it, we can do it differently, that we should still pursue to seek out answers. But maybe we wouldn't just try to do it on our own, but that we would go to others and to Jesus And here's the thing about Jesus. Maybe some of us are scared to seek out the answers from Christ or from God because we think somehow, some way that's going to make us look bad with God or he's going to think less of us or he's going to love us even less. But the reality of it is this. God and Jesus, they do not fear our questions, our skepticism or our doubt. Instead, they want to enter. They want to enter into our questioning. They want us to believe. They want us to understand And maybe in much the same way as Jesus showed up to Thomas, I believe that Jesus wants us to see what we need to see and experience what we need to experience. And he wants to show it to us. But sometimes what we need to do, we need to seek him, but we also need to do one other thing. And that one other thing we can learn from John the Baptist. Will you just take a look with me in Matthew chapter 11, verses 2 through 6? We're going to take a look at a time when John the Baptist, whom Jesus called the greatest man that ever lived, he himself doubted. Remember, John was the one that laid the way for Jesus. He was the messenger right before. And he himself even got the privilege of baptizing Jesus in the Jordan River. And he got to see for himself right there when the Bible tells us how God opened up the heavens and declared that this is my son, Jesus, whom I am well pleased with and proud of. And he saw this, witnessed this, experienced this, and yet he was in a place of doubt. And take a look at what he did when he was in this doubt. Matthew 11, verse 2, we'll start there. It says, now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, are you the one? Are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. 
here John is in prison. And maybe it's the situation and the circumstance of being in this lonely jail, dark and gloomy, seemingly like no hope. And maybe some of you guys are in a situation that makes you feel the same. And even though he's seen and experienced so much, he's doubting, wondering, is Jesus, is he really who I proclaimed? Is he really the one that we're supposed to be pointing to? Is he really who he says he is? Maybe you have struggled and thought the same thoughts as well, or you're doing so right now because you feel like you are like John sitting in a prison. But John, he didn't just sit on those doubts and try to figure it out on his own. He went and he sought help. And he sought out Jesus, but he couldn't do it on his own because physically he couldn't get out of prison. And so this leads me to our next A. Will you write this down? The second thing of the triple A is will you, will you be like John and will you ask for help? John asked for help by asking his disciples to do what he physically couldn't do. And that was go and talk to Jesus for him. And that's exactly what they did. And in the same way, we sometimes need to ask for help. We need to seek the aid of others because we can't do it on our own. But here's the thing, how can people help us if they don't know that we need help? That idea made me think of this medical alert bracelet that there used to be commercials for, where a lady would fall and she would say, help, I've fallen and I can't get up. And there would be jokes about this, little sketches, making fun of it. And yet this hits really close to home for me. See, I moved to Torrance many, many, many years ago when I was a little kid. And it was me, my brother, my mom, my dad, and his mom, my grandma. And we were so excited to live in the South Bay. And so one night, we decided to go out, explore the town, visit the mall, grab something to eat. But my grandma was like, you know, I'll just stay home. Don't worry about it. I'll see you guys when you get back. Well, we went out. We had a good time. And when we came home that night, we came home and we could hear the shower running in the back part of the house. And we just thought, oh, grandma must be taking a shower. But we kind of looked at the time and we were thinking, it's kind of late for grandma to be up. And it's kind of late for her to be taking a shower. I wonder, I wonder what she's doing. And so my mom and my dad went to go check. And what they found was my grandma lying on the shower floor. She had fallen, and she couldn't get up. And she had been laying there for hours. If only she had a way to let other people and she, to let other people know that she needed help. Because if she let other people know, if other people found out, there would have been so many people that could have done something. But she had no way of being able, being able to ask for help. And unfortunately, my grandma never recovered from that fall. She ended up passing a few days later in the hospital. And see, for many of us, we may be drowning in our doubt. We're struggling, trying to make sense of it all. You have an opportunity to ask for help. You have a community here at South Bay Community Church. You have maybe friends that you attend life group with or maybe a friend that brought you here. You have pastors and church leaders that maybe want to talk with you and help you. We are creating Bible studies for new believers. We're creating Bible studies 
for a midweek study. You have opportunities all around. You have even the internet. Now, I don't recommend just trusting everything you read on the internet because not all of it is true. But I know, I know that there are some people that are out there who have gone through what you have gone through. Your doubt is not so unique that no one else has felt it or struggled through it. And somebody out there could probably help. But how can anybody help if you don't ask for help, don't acknowledge that you need it? See, I'm so glad that on that morning, I didn't just go run on my own before my wedding. Because if I ran on my own, I may have never came back. (laughs) I'm thankful Pastor Dave was with me because he was able to talk me down and remind me of the truth that this often happens to a lot of people. And that's what I needed to hear that small little nugget of truth. And that's what Jesus did for John. He told him, hey, the blind, they can see now. The lepers are being cleansed. He was directly referencing verses that John would have known from the book of Isaiah, of the prophecy of the coming Messiah. And so I challenge you, church, if you're struggling with doubts, ask for help. Continue to seek out God and to continue to seek out your answers. And if you're a non-believer, I I challenge you as well. There have been plenty of people that have tried to prove that God doesn't exist, and yet still to this day, neither side, Christianity or non-believers, can prove the other one wrong. And one person uh, who went out of his way to try to prove that Christianity was wrong was this man right here. His name was Lee Strobel. See, just to give you a little idea of Lee, is that he was an atheist pretty much his whole entire life. Until one day, his wife became a Christian. And he just thought, oh no, how did she get brainwashed? This is horrible. He felt like it was a bait and switch. Like, I married a non-Christian, now she's Christian. What is going to happen? What is going on? And Lee, being a very accomplished individual, he graduated from Yale with a law degree. He was an investigative journalist by trade. He set set out on a mission to prove his wife wrong, to show her and and to tell her that Christianity and Christ is not real. And so for two years, he used all of his journalism skills and his legal training to investigate the evidence for Christianity. And after those two years... In November of 1981, he himself became a Christian. And he wrote this book that a lot of people still use today to share who Christ is with those skeptics and those doubters, The Case for Christ. These are great materials and reminders to us that if we search and we seek out the help, man, it can be found. But I know that there are times where sometimes people and even words aren't enough. And the questions are so consuming And so daunting that we can't do it even with the help of others. And so maybe someone that we can go and reach out to for help is God himself. That instead of maybe us questioning God, maybe we should just bring our questions to God and ask for his help with our unbelief or with our doubts and with our struggles. Because I know he wants to help. How do I know this? Take a look at Mark chapter 9, verses 22 through 24. To set up the story, what what is happening was there is this demon-possessed boy. And the disciples have been trying to cast out the demon within him. And the father is getting desperate. He's pleading for help. 
And then finally, Jesus shows up. And when Jesus shows up, this is the plea of the Father. In verse 22, he says, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. And immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. Here again is a picture of faith existing with doubt. He's saying, I believe, I believe, I believe, yet I'll be honest and I'll admit and I'll ask for your help. I believe, but will you help me with my unbelief? Church, if you're struggling with unbelief, if you're struggling with doubts, when's the last time when you cried out and you asked God, not just for answers, but you asked him for help with your unbelief? You asked him for help with your faith, that you asked him, God, help me believe. I know that Jesus desires to give us what we need to overcome our doubts and our struggles. Sometimes what we need to do is ask him for his help. But here's the thing about God and Jesus. Sometimes he helps us in ways that aren't always necessarily clear or direct, but exactly what we need. Sometimes what he does isn't just audibly tell us what to do, but he calls us to just trust him and have faith in him and to act on something instead. And that leads me to our final A in this triple A of what we can do to embrace doubt. Would you act? Would you act on your faith, not on your doubts? Would you act on your faith and not on your doubts? Basically what I'm trying to insinuate is would you choose to believe your beliefs and cling to those and hold on to those when your doubts show up? And with your doubts, instead of believing them and letting them rule and run your life, would you question your doubts and doubt your doubts? Because here is the reality. Sometimes... Jesus is going to give us a clear answer. God is going to reveal himself in a mighty way that we can understand quickly. And other times, it'll be a process. Do you guys not realize that when Thomas shared his unbelief with his fellow disciples, it tells us that it was eight days later that Jesus showed up, that there was some time in between that, that Jesus didn't just show up immediately. But yet how many of us want Jesus and God to show up immediately to remove our doubts? Maybe God is trying to remove your doubts, but he's going to do it slowly and through a process. And it's going to take some time. So understand that. And instead, cling to your beliefs. Cling to your faith. And don't let your doubts cause you to run away from God. And then also remember and accept that you and I, we may never fully get it or understand it. Us being, again, Finite beings may not truly understand an infinite God. But what we can do is we can trust him when he calls us to act, even though we may not truly understand. I love the whole idea of that picture of when Jesus met them on the mountain, the disciples. They worship, but they doubt it. And the next, very next thing that Jesus does is not say, all right, let's sit down and let's take some time to talk about your doubts and let's try to figure this out. No, what he does instead, he says, let's go. I want you guys to go. Make disciples baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and I'm with you to the end of the ages. He says, you know what? There will be a time for learning, and there will be a time where you just need to go, and you just need to act. And as you do, you will learn. But will you have faith to follow and act on what he has you to do, even when you sometimes don't understand. And you're like, James, I don't get that. I can't live out what I don't understand. I can't believe in things that I don't get. 
Yes, we can. We do it all the time, or at least I do. For me, I'm not the brightest of people. I fully admit that. My wife can attest to that. But like, I don't get how airplanes work. I mean, think about it. To me, I'm like, you go into this gigantic vehicle, this big tin box, and however it may work, somehow, way, it creates enough energy and force and speed to all of a sudden go into the air. And then not just go into there, but travel thousands upon thousands of miles. And if it just drops, I would die. Like, I don't understand how it works. And even I shared this yesterday at Saturday night service. Someone texted me and they sent me pictures and all these diagrams to show me. And I, I told them after, I still don't get it. I still don't understand. Uh, but what I will do is I will still have faith in an airplane. And I will still put my life on the line by entering into one and riding one and traveling on one. You can do the same with God. You don't always have to understand everything to believe and to act. Because I believe when these doubts come, God has equipped us with a faith that could coexist with it, but also a faith that could help us overcome it. One pastor said, faith is not the absence of doubt, but the vehicle to help us overcome it. And I believe that faith is always associated with actions. And that's why I believe that through our actions of obedience and faith, God can help us overcome doubts and reveal things to us on the other side of doubts that we cannot see or understand. See, I believe that just past our doubts usually lies something that we can never experience till we overcome them with faith. Great example of this, of people who didn't let their doubts dictate their direction or their life or their actions, but their faith was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, three young boys who were living in a nation where there was a king, King Nebuchadnezzar, who did not believe in God and instead had great pride in himself, so much so that he erected a great idol of himself and he told everybody in the nation that they have to bow down and worship it. And if they didn't, then they would be killed. And that was the threat to these three young men these three young men, though, they knew and they believed in the word of God. They believed in the Lord and they knew that God had commanded them to never bow down to anyone except him. And so when the time came for everybody to bow, these three young men wouldn't. And so King Nebuchadnezzar got them, tied them up, got them ready to be thrown into this fiery furnace, into this death sentence. And he gave them one last chance. Say, will you bow down? And take a look at their response in Daniel chapter 3, verses 17 through 18. This is what the boy said. It says, you know what, if you throw us in there, if this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But, but if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. I'm not 100% sure, but I believe that in that but, there was this moment of hedging their bets or covering their back if God didn't show up. Maybe because there was a little bit of doubt from these three boys. Because maybe for them, they couldn't understand, how is God going to save us? This fire is hot. People have already died trying to set up this fire. How are we going to survive it? So maybe they were trying to set it up. Okay, we don't know how, so even if he doesn't. But one thing that they did do and what they did say was like, we have this faith in God and he's commanded us to do something. And we're going we're gonna to live by that. They didn't say, you know what, uh, I don't know if we're going to survive, so let's just kind of live by our doubts, fear, and just bow down to this king, and hopefully God will forgive us later. But no, they said, no, 
even though we don't understand, even though we might have this doubt that maybe God won't save us, we're going to do what God has called us to do. We're going to live on our faith. We're going to act on our faith, not on our doubts. What happened because of it? Well, they got thrown into the fire and they all died. No, I'm just kidding. They didn't die, right? But it tells us, the Bible tells us that they survived. And not only survived, they weren't even harmed at all. That Jesus seemingly was walking alongside them in the fire. And that when they came out, the whole nation, the king himself was astonished to the point where they all bowed down and they worshiped the Lord that day. Because these three boys were willing to act on their faith, not on their doubts. And I believe we need to do the same. So let's be honest and let's acknowledge that we have doubts. Let's ask for help and let's act on the things that God puts on our hearts and on the faith that we're called to have even in the midst of the doubts that surround us. And know that when we do this, God will respond. And the way that he tends to respond to his people is with understanding, with grace, with love, and oftentimes evidence. Maybe not necessarily in the way we're looking for or would expect, but exactly what we need, which brings me to my last point, and that is this. Will you write this down? God meets us and gives us exactly what we need. Maybe not what we want. Maybe not what we expect. Maybe not in, his ti- not in the timing we like, but exactly what we need. And so will you acknowledge your doubts? Will you ask for help, and will you act? And as you do that, will you see what God can do through and with your doubts. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for being such a kind, patient, and understanding God. That God, when we have our doubts, you're not afraid of us coming to you with them, but instead, God, you desire to even use them for our good. So God, would you help us to see doubt not as an enemy, but but more as an opportunity to grow closer to you, to have our roots go deeper and stronger in you as we not run away from you because of them, but we run to you because of them. God, we love you. God, we thank you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.